Shipping and cruise ports worldwide are seeking ways to become more energy efficient and meet net zero targets. I'm so excited to have as a guest today, Captain Alan Gray, President and CEO of the Halifax Port Authority in Nova Scotia, Canada. The world's largest shipping lines call on the port of Halifax, connecting the port to 150 countries. Let's find out how the Port of Halifax is getting ready for renewable fuels and how their goal is to become an attainable supplier of fuels going forward. Coming up next. Welcome, Captain Gray. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. It's It's great because just recently I talked to uh, Mark Kirby of the Canadian Hydrogen and Fuel Cell Association of Canada, and he had mentioned Halifax, the Port of Halifax, they're doing great things. (laughs) And that's what prompted me to reach out to you. And I guess to start things off, Let's tell everybody what the Port of Halifax, how you're getting ready for renewable energy. Yeah, look, there's a number of areas that we're we're looking at. And um, one of them is uh, the Port Authority is a bit of a demand aggregator. We're going to be a big demand user of energy. Um, we naturally are with cranes and port equipment. And there's both mobility and things that have fixed structures. So, you know, you, you can plug into the grid for some things and some things you can't plug into the grid. So... We're going to have to look at how we transition and how we bring our partners like trucking and, and rail and all these other partners over to renewable um, fuels and the shipping lines that come in. So most likely being that Nova Scotia is, such, is going to be such a good place for the production of hydrogen is how does hydrogen play into our usage and can we use that to um, bunker the large ships? So we're the only port on the east coast of Canada that can handle the ultra-class container ships. So there's almost a responsibility on us to be in a position where we can provide those large ships the ability to bunker renewable fuels. The other side where I say we're a demand aggregator is, okay, if we've got to bring fuels in for us to help us out, or if we've got to bring fuels in to refuel, can we also bring fuels in that allow the city around us to adopt new renewable fuels? Can we be the, can we be the demand center that helps them transition across to renewable fuels as well so there's a two role factor there's what we've got to do on the land what we've got to do on the marine side and then how do we help the city around us to also get to that point well explain to me a little bit about the opportunity around bunkering large vessels and for people like me what is bunkering yep so bunkering yeah i mean like any industry we like to have our jargon so nobody else understands (laughs) but uh yeah bunkering is the method of refueling a vessel um so currently refueling of vessels is done with either diesel um so the light end of the fuels or something called heavy fuel oil which is thick black oil you know so and it's actually a a byproduct out of the um crude refinery process and so ships burn that but that causes large emissions so even though sort of 90 percent of the world's trade is carried by sea um, shipping um, forms and it's probably the most efficient form of carrying it um, we're still about three percent of the global emissions so quite a large percentage of the global emission so 
So future bunkering is going, okay, well, we're not going to be bunkering these petroleum products, these heavy fuels and things. Um, what what are the new fuels that are going to be there? And so, you know, hydrogen in some form, it looks like the front runner, um, but hydrogen itself um, as a liquid is very difficult to store and, and, and utilize. So, um, so they're looking at fuels like ammonia, methanol, uh, ELNG. So LNG at the moment is, is a byproduct of your petroleum refineries, but you know, ELNG could come from other um, bio-type processes, so like methane from uh, bio-products and, and that sort of thing. So, so the opportunity here is because we've got these large vessels coming to our port is, you know, can we... And, and the other thing is that we have hydrogen derivative fuels being produced probably in Port Hawkesbury. Um, yeah, can we get hold of these fuels and then provide them to these these fleets of vessels coming in? Now, the commercial opportunity for us is that um, it, it sort of differentiates us from other ports in that sense that we have available fuels near us and therefore we can provide a service. But on the other side of it, if we're trying to get the industry over, um, the more of us that can provide these services and, and supply the demand that these shipping lines are going to have, um, the more likely they are to adopt technology to transition across. Because if you're a shipping line, there's a long lead time. You're talking 10 to 15 years in ordering ships. Um, and they're going, well, what's the fuel I'm going to be? Is there going to be fuel available to me? Can I build that ship now on the basis that there's going to be fuel around? So we're trying, so in the Port of Halifax, we're working with the Port of Hamburg under an MOU to say, well, let's try and work out where we think the front running fuel will be. What do we have available? What's the infrastructure we need to put in place now ready? Uh, and therefore, um, for, particularly for the services running between Hamburg and here, um, which is about 5 to 8% of our, 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 our cargo, um, yeah, can, we, can we help the shipping lines transition across? Yeah, so. Well, it's amazing. We were talking earlier about mobile shore systems because not every ship can just you know, there has probably has to be something that's not so stationary that you can take the energy to the ships. Yeah. So, I mean, people talk about onshore power and generally, in, and that's been focused around cruise ships predominantly because they're large energy users. Um, so in port, they're running, you know, three and four generated, very large generators to generate the hospitality electricity power that's needed on a vessel. You know, some of these ships are like 10 to 14 megawatts of power. So, you know, that plugs into the grid. In most cases, you're plugging into the grid. So there's things like one is positioning ships all the time so that you can plug into the grid. Uh, two is can the grid handle that volume? So we have days here in uh, September, October, where we have five cruise ships alongside. If we were pl plugging five cruise ships in at 10 to 14 megawatts, that may well put a strain on the grid. So, and then... You look at, we have general cargo vessels, um, container ships coming in on other berths. It's challenging to say that everything should be fixed and feeding into the grid. So what we're looking at is the ability to generate m mobile systems. So effectively in a 40-foot container, you know, per se. Something we can lift up with a forklift, put on a truck and, and move it somewhere else. And that gives us the flexibility then to provide shore power to multiple ships in different positions. 
it's not at the same level as the 10 to 14. It's probably about six and a half megawatts, somewhere around there. So, But it would do a last, large majority of, of the other vessels calling. But the value add for us in that is that, you know, we, we got hit with uh, Hurricane Fiona last year. There were power outages. You know, is there the ability with this mobile system to reverse engineer it back into the grid and therefore turn these units around as emergency generating power um, and that may help Nova Scotia Power get um, primary services back online or can it be relocated to an area that's in an emergency situation that needs power? So um, hydrogen uh, fuel cells provide lots of flexibility in that way. Um, so, you know, it's it's a great opportunity to use these renewable fuels that are coming to actually create electricity in another form. So, That's a great idea. I like the idea of being an attainable supplier, you know, of fuels going forward, you know, yeah. uh, when it's needed, especially during hurricanes and storms and power outages. Explain to me what the peer is. I know that that's quite an innovation. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a lot of great, great ideas happening there. Do you want to walk yeah, me through so, that one? So the peer is our living lab. So it stands for Port Innovation Engagement Research. The difference between traditional innovation hubs and our living lab is uh, innovation hubs generally uh, bring a group of people together, may not have the same uh, background or industry sector, but uh, and then you try and create a community around that, and then you hope that community you've created causes collisions and, and great ideas come from that. Um, the Living Lab is a little bit more deliberate. You know, in the maritime port sector, we already have a community. It's a well-established global community. Um so, but we needed a method of bringing people together to to collaborate. So, uh, the peer is our way of bringing corporates, government, and the ecosystem that that exists. And you know, the ocean sector here in um, Atlantic Canada is just superb. You know, from an innovation's point of view, you know, you've already got Cove over on the other side, but you've got a, a bunch of great people innovating in the maritime sector. So, getting hold of that ecosystem, and then trying to address challenging problems that any one of us on our own probably couldn't resolve so and decarbonization is one of those one of those ones so we have a cluster of members in there in the peer that are focused on decarbonization um, and looking at renewable fuels looking at electricity grids looking at PVs you know and on all these sorts of things and and they're they're there trying to say, well, you know, can we create something that helps ports decarbonize or helps cities decarbonize? So the peer, we have three pillars that we, we focus on, the supply chain and logistics. So about what we do, moving cargo, the interconnected port city, which is really about how does a, a port city like Halifax grow, both the city growth and the port's growth, how do they do that hand in hand and work together and improve the amenity for the community that's around. So we're using technology and sensors and software to help us make decisions better, plan better, and, and monitor activities so that we can we can be a better community citizen and have a better port city. And the third area is around regulation. Quite often government regulation lags innovation. So we use the peer as a method of trying to sandbox regulation and, and give us a chance to trial and write legislation in unison as the innovation is being created 
so that government is in a position where they can implement the appropriate regulation in place at the right time. So that's our three areas of focus. Um, we, we tag that with um, workforce development, uh, particularly we've just been given a grant to support net zero um, workforce development and developing pathways for particularly um, African Nova Scotians, Indigenous or communities that don't get access to education as easily as others. You know, there's opportunities for everybody in the net zero pathways. Sorry to interrupt here, but did you know that this podcast is a passion project of Sociable Media? And this is where I get to do a shameless plug for our services. Sociable Media is a digital marketing agency that works with clients in the renewable energy sector. We design websites, manage social media, run ad campaigns, write content, all that sort of digital marketing stuff. I just want to throw that in there. Now back to the podcast. As you work towards renewable fuels and net zero targets, I would imagine there would be a lot of partnerships that you would rely on, you know, which is rail and, and logistics. You know, they're all working toward it as well. So how does the Port of Halifax, um, would you collaborate or would you kind of set the standard? How would that look? We prefer to collaborate. Uh-huh. It's easier than the big stick. Um, I look, I, I think fortunately all our partners are cognizant. I made a comment one time at a conference is, we've, we've struggled to optimize this industry and make it an efficient industry because we can't get into a common platform. Right now, every part of the supply chain is talking about greenhouse emissions and decarbonisation. It's the only time in our history that we've had a common voice. Mm -hmm. And amazingly enough, it's not just about renewable energy. It's not just about electrification. A lot of it is about reducing consumption. And therefore, you have to be more efficient. You have to optimise more. So we've never had a better opportunity to come together and collaborate on things that before we always said were commercially sensitive or whatever, we're now seeing the industry go, yep, we've got to digitalize. Yes, we've got to share information. We've got to find a more efficient way to do things because in doing that, that is actually a cheaper pathway than renewable fuels and and electrification. So first thing and and paramount, let's collaborate and let's optimize, let's get more efficient. Then let's, let's transition to renewable fuels, let's transition to electrification. So I don't have a problem with our partners getting on board. We already seen PSA um, has gone out and bought uh, some electric uh, rubber tied gantries and they're slowly replacing equipment with electrified equipment. Uh, we're looking at projects to retrofit existing diesel equipment into hydrogen fuel cell. Uh, we're working with our partners on what might rail delivery and shuttles, rail shuttles look like going forward? Could they operate electrified? Could they be hydrogen fuel cells? Could we get them at a lower noise level than we currently have? Them? So, you know, we're all working towards it. The challenge, particularly in the shipping area, is the pathway isn't clearly defined. Um, we don't know which is the winning fuel yet. So four different shipping lines are talking four different fuels at the, this stage. Um so, you know, it's hard for ports to sort of land exactly where that's going to be. Um, so we're sort of covering all bases at the moment. And um, But, you know, 
we're, we're aligned to the federal government's mandates on, on getting to net zero. We hope to be faster than that. I mean, so, you know, we're working that hopefully through one method or the other, from a scope one point of view, we'll, we'll have all our purchased electricity being 100% renewable sort of 2026-ish era, you know, maybe a little bit earlier than that, just depending on when some of the renewable energy comes online. Um, and then it's about, you know, how are we addressing the equipment that's being used by our terminal operators? Can we provide a level of shore power that starts reducing emissions there? Um, and then ultimately, I suspect it's more likely to be 2030 before we're significantly providing renewable fuels, but um, we'll see from 25, 26 that they're starting to be produced. It's just about where the uptake in vessels will come from in that time. So it's ambitious, um, you know, but we think it's it's doable and, and, and we have to do it. Um, partly, I mean, people can get hung up on um, global emissions, um, but I think for the average person in our community, it's probably too big a task to, to comprehend. Um, and often people feel there's nothing they can do. So it's kind of like a act local, think global type exactly. of concept. And that's that's what I say. You know, when we went out to community on our sustainability survey to look at what UN's sustainability goals were most important to them, the one that came out on top was health, safety and well-being, not global emissions. Yeah. And why? Because quality of air, noise, those sorts of things are relevant to me locally and surprisingly enough if i go about as a port and clean up the air i clean up the emissions i've also helped global emissions right so you know we we focus on exactly say think local but the impact will be global uh, when we finish so you do have a timeline you have some targets that you wish to achieve and it's it's nice to see that you're you're trying to move things you know you're moving things forward you you really are and and you've got uh, exciting plans. I want to thank you for joining me today, Captain Gray. It, it was really uh, exciting uh, to to hear about uh, how the port, because when cruise ships and and large vessels, marine vessels, mm. when they they're huge drawers of of power, they use yeah. a lot of energy, and it's nice to see that you're you know, you're moving in a direction that um, is sustainable. Yeah, and and thank you very much for having me on. But yes, I mean. We want to be, remain part of the community and we want to be responsible to the community. And um, we believe ambitious targets help keep us keep us focused. Sometimes we run out of energy, but we reboost ourselves <laughs> as we yeah. go. <laughs> so, well, thank excellent. You. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. I hope that gave you some insight into how the Port of Halifax is aggressively going after net zero targets and relying on collaboration as well. This podcast is sponsored by Smart Energy, and I'm your host, Maria McGowan. Thanks for listening.